0: Let's pray before we begin today. God, we thank you. Thank you that you're praised, Lord. Lord, if there's anything, Lord, that should dwell upon our lips, it should be your praise. In fact, God, I pray that you would find our speech to be pleasing to you, oh God. Edifying, encouraging, lifting others up, speaking the truth in love, pointing people to Jesus. God, we thank you, and we love you, and we ask that you speak to us during this time as we examine and study and open our hearts and minds, Lord, to what you have for us in your word today, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exciting day, right? Exciting with a wet sleeve and all. It's wonderful. In fact, it's drying out, so that's that's great. We are going to continue in Nehemiah 6. Nehemiah 6 is where we're going to be today. And we're actually going to be wrapping up the Nehemiah series today, wrapping it up. Uh, we have looked at Nehemiah, and uh, we've taken it chapter by chapter, and I believe that God has spoken some important things to us. You know, a couple weeks ago, we had um, probably the least exciting Super Bowl that ever existed. Would you agree with that? In fact, it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in Super Bowl history. I think it was 13-3, to 3, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and those, those latter points didn't come till the end of the game. So it was like three to three, three to nothing for a good part of the game. But what made the game, so, so here's the deal. If you love high-powered offenses, the game was boring. But if you love a showcase of defense, the game was fantastic. Why, the reason that they weren't scoring so well was because both defenses were playing on top of their game. I mean, they were on it. In fact, they kept showing clips of Wade Phillips, the, the uh, defensive coordinator of the LA Rams. And, and he knows his stuff. He's been around for 71 years and been doing defensive uh, coordinating for all that, almost every team in the league. But they were talking about how that was, that's what Wade did and he knew uh, clever defensive schemes to be able to trick. In fact, what they would do many times, um, I, I played safety, believe it or not, I played safety in, in high school, you may not believe that, but I did a little bit, okay? And I love that position because the safety position was the sneak position. He was the guy who had the flexibility. He was the guy who could come up and play like he was a linebacker and trick the offense, make you think that he was going to blitz, which Wade Phillips loves to do this, by the way, make you think he's going to blitz, and then he'll drop the safety back into zone coverage to help with the tight end or the post that's coming across the middle. And so I know for you who don't love football, this is a lot of football jargon, so bear with me for a minute. But the safety position was a fun position because it was flexible, and it was also one of those that was basically based on deception. Because you, your whole goal was you wanted to trick the quarterback and make him think that you were about to come at him, get him to call an audible, switch the play, and then you would switch. So why you saw such a low-scoring game is because what you saw was a master chess game going on, right? You saw this master chess game between two brilliant minds, Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator of the Patriots, and Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator of the Rams. And you just see them moving like this. It's almost like when I play checkers with my wife. Okay? And eventually you just have to let her win so that the game can be over. That's just what you have to do. Right? Because otherwise it's just going to be a boring game and you're just going to go on and on and on and on. So, right, Jody? I just let her win after a while. You just got to make it interesting. So, and, and here's what we're seeing in Nehemiah. We're seeing this master chess game go on. You see that Nehemiah is building a wall. That's his whole purpose. That's what he set out to do. He was going to build a wall. God called him to restore the wall of the city of Jerusalem so that they might be protected. You have Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies of Nehemiah, who come out very early on and say, no, 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 you can't do this. We're going to discredit you. We're going to discourage you. We're going to deceive you. We're going to do everything. We're going to throw everything at you. We're going to make you think that we're coming, but we're really not that whole kind of thing, and eventually we just want, their goal is that Nehemiah would just quit with discouragement, hang his head, and go home. That's not what Nehemiah does. You've heard me say it before, but these numbers are significant. 42 sections of the wall, 42 sections and gates of the wall built in 52 days. 52 days. That's almost how long it's taken us to redo the kids' worship area. Amen? (laughs) No, we're beating that. So Nehemiah, pressed on, and he pushed through. And today, we're going to see the last attempt. How many of you know that the enemy, the more desperate he gets, the more the attempts get more and more vicious and violent, right? More to see, more trickery, because if the, en- if the enemy can't stop you on the front end, he's going to press all that he can to stop you before you get that final. Well, here's where we're at today. Nehemiah has all the sections of the wall are being completed. Now they're working on the gates, and y'all know how important the gates are. The gates are critically important because that, that, that's the flow in and out of things. And so they don't have the gates quite finished yet. This is when Sambal and Tobiah say, aha, uh-huh, this is our last stand. We're going to really throw everything that we possibly can. We've tried this, nothing else has worked. Let's pick it up at Nehemiah chapter six. Sambal and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. This is Nehemiah writing in first person. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates, so Senballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they tried this and sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. I think they would get it by then. The fifth time, Samballot's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what he said. By the way, if you can't ridicule somebody in private, you ridicule them in public. That's how the enemy turns up the heat. So now we have an open letter. You know what that means? That means it's for everybody to see, and he's going to read it in the open city square to humiliate Nehemiah. Here we go. This is what he says: There is a rumor surrounding the uh, uh, among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Verse eight. Nehemiah says, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. Then he says an aside here. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. He dug in. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabal. All right, y'all can, we can work on that later. Anyway, who was confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, someone, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh God, and Nehemiah turns to a prayer to God. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Nodiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Verse 15, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations had heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. Basically, they tried everything they could. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, uh, son of Arah, and his son Jehohan, was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. Then they told him everything I said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. It never stopped. The first thing that we need to know when we're dealing with the enemy, and the reason I talked about such great defenses at at the beginning is because while the Christian life is meant to be lived on offense, you have to also be on defense and aware of the enemy's schemes. The first thing, and you can write this down, is that we need to defend against distractions. Defend against distractions. You see right off the bat that when they're trying to finish the gates, you see that Sam Ballot sends a message and says, Hey, come get off the wall and come meet with me. Let's meet together. Let's talk about things. And four times Nehemiah said, No, no, no. And then finally, as I pointed out earlier, he goes public with it. He goes public with it. And 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 it's not that maybe meeting with Sam Ballot was such a bad thing, but here's what Nehemiah knew. Nehemiah knew that meeting with those guys may have been well and good, and maybe he could have reach some kind of agreement to get them off of his back, but that would have totally deterred him from the purpose that God had given him, which was to finish the wall. We had to defend against the distractions. You have to know that just like that safety who's going to come up and try to blitz and sack the quarterback, you have to be aware that the offensive line has to catch that. And in fact, the quarterback calls out these audibles and says, hey, 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 he's right here, he's right here. You even see him pointing in the game sometimes. Like, what are they doing? What's all this craziness? They're pointing so that they can pick up the defense. You and I have to be able to defend against the distractions of this life. Would you agree that there are many distractions today in the Christian life? Would you agree that Satan loves to use, hear me, good things to take us from the best things? Absolutely he does. In fact, one of his most common tools is to take something that is good in and of itself And to make that the priority in your life to where you make that the priority to where it becomes all-consuming in your life and then before you know it you're all consumed with that and God's over here one of the best tactics that the enemy loves to use today is trading the best things for the good things and this is you can write this down that's why we have to say yes to the best simple little saying kind of corny, but we have to say yes to the best. The best things are knowing and following Jesus, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Amen? Those are the best things. The best thing is being in corporate worship with one another that we can edify, exalt, and encourage our Lord and our Savior. In community together where we can pray for each other we can encourage each other but if you're not here how can we pray how can we encourage how can we exhort how can we exalt the Savior as a community in fact right the writer of Hebrews says let us not forsake the meeting together of one another and let us spur one another on to good works that's why it's so important the corporate gathering the gathering of God's people together that is the best Now, is that all in all the best? No. The walk with Jesus Christ is the best, and that's a part of our walk with Jesus. So I want you to think about, what are some things that you may have traded that are good in and of themselves, but you may have traded that and put it in place of a best thing? Micah 6.8 says this, he has told you, O man, what is good. You say, what does the Lord want me to do? What do I need to focus on? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Secondly, what do we need to do? We need to defend against discouragement. Look at verse 8. Defend against discouragement. There is no truth in any part of your story. I love how Nehemiah calls them out. He says, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making the whole thing up. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could, and there's the word, discourage us and stop the work. But I continued with even greater determination. He dug his heels in. He said, no, you're not getting me off this wall. We've got gates to finish. We are going to finish this project. They were trying their hardest to discourage Nehemiah and his team. And Nehemiah saw through it for a lie and for what it was. How do we defend against the lies and the traps of the enemy? How do we know when the enemy's coming at us with a lie? The answer is we have to put on the full armor of God. The apostle Paul talks about this. Here's the thing about the armor of God. We'll read the passage in a minute. And I want you to notice how many of the equipment, how much of the equipment in here is defensive and how much is offensive. Okay? Let's read it. And as we read it, Note when it's a defensive piece of equipment, and note when it's an offensive piece of equipment. Here we go, Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And this is key, verse 16. That's why it's boldened here. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. How many offensive pieces of equipment? One. How many defensive pieces of equipment? Five. Helmet of salvation, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, uh, the, uh, the shoes, uh, the, uh, the gospel of peace. I'm missing one. But it's all there. So you have five defensive ones, and you have one offensive one. What does that tell us about the Christian wall? It tells us we better be on defense. It tells us we better be girded up and protected, because the enemy is going to try to hit you in all kinds of different places. Do you remember the awful shooting that happened back, in uh, fact, just a couple hours north of us when we lived in Corpus Christi at the church, at Sutherland Springs? The guy who took him out was an NRA-trained rifleman. I don't know if you remember this story. He said there was was one spot, only one spot, because the guy had full gear on, full protective gear. He said there was only one spot where I knew I could take him out, and it was where there was a little gap right here in the side in his protective armor. Do you know that the enemy tries to do the same thing with you and I? He looks for any kind of opening that he can get. That's why each piece of this equipment, and we don't have time to even go into all this, But each piece of this equipment is so critically important for us to put on as Christians. In fact, one of my favorite ones, and I even emboldened it, is called the shield of faith. Because how many of you know that Satan's going to throw everything at you? He's going to distort the truth. He's going to get you to think lies and other kinds of stuff. He's going to get you to forget who you are in Christ, which, by the way, is one of his main tactics if he can get you to doubt your identity in Christ. And he's going a long way. But here's what you can do. It's called the shield of faith. In the Roman world, the soldiers carried two types of shields. They carried a small one, which is kind of the more Captain America one that you see, the little small round one. And that was for hand-to-hand combat. When you were with daggers and stuff like that, that, obviously you wanted one of those small ones you could be agile and nimble with. But the big one, and the one that Paul is talking about here, the Greek word that he's saying here, is indicating the big body size shield. It's, it's two and a half foot wide, by four foot tall. These things were massive. And the whole thing is that you would have a line of defense that you would hunker down under like this. And so what the enemy would do would throw these flaming darts. You know, they would douse it in in type of gasoline and they would light the fire. And their hopes is that they would break through over to the other enemy lines. But when the shield of faith was up, when the shield was up, it was made of metal or sometimes they would douse the leather with water so that it would extinguish the fiery darts that are being thrown at it. That is what Paul's talking about. The fiery darts that are being shooted, shot at you and me. We extinguish that with faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, meaning that we believe that Jesus says, who he says he is, is true, and that he is trustworthy, and that all his promises are true. And we take up those promises. We hold behind the shield of faith, and we say, Not this time, enemy. Not going to happen. So I want you to envision that next time. If you need to envision a big four foot uh, four-foot tall by two and a half foot wide shield and you getting behind it every time the enemy's trying to throw something at you, then you do it. Some of you may want to make one. Then when somebody goes by in your front yard and says, what is that guy doing behind behind that wooden shield? I'm not quite sure what's going on. You can just tell them what's going on, okay? I don't expect us all to be carrying big shields around, okay? But if you want to, go ahead. The point that Paul's making is that we need to extinguish those flaming... Jesus clearly instructed us that to be on offense is with the only weapon that we need, and that's the sword of the Spirit. That is the truth of God's Word. So there's only one listed. Lastly, we need to defend against deception. Verse 11, But I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? Do you notice what happens? Sam Ballot says, okay, I can't humiliate him in private. I can't humiliate him in public. Here's my my final straw. The only thing I know to do left is to deceive. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to pay a prophet to say that he heard a word from the Lord. To go to Nehemiah and say, come worship with me in the temple and let's come worship together. So basically, I'm going to pull the God card out. I'm going to pull the God card out and see if I can distract Nehemiah, take advantage of his loyalty to God. Talk about deceit and trickery and deception. That's exactly what what, what happened here. But Nehemiah replied, and he saw through it. He said, I'm not going to do that. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Simeon. He realized who was behind it. Nehemiah's enemies had tried everything else. But they pulled out the religious card, the God card at the end. Jesus knew that this would be a challenge for us today. In fact, he said that there would be many who would come. Matthew 24, 4 and 5 says, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You can know this. God is never going to tell you to do something contrary to his word." It's not going to happen. If you hear somebody come to you and say, God told me to kill somebody, you can know that is not from the Lord. That's, that's not from God's word. God told me to steal this. No, No, God's not going to tell you to do that. God is never going to contradict himself. He's never going to go against himself. He cannot. It's his character. He can't go against himself. God will never tell you to do something that goes against his word. You can write that down. He will never tell you to do that so how do we defend ourselves we defend ourselves by putting on the full armor of God and every day is a battle it's not easy street every day is a battle and we have to gird up and we have to guard our heart and we have to be aware of the schemes of the enemy and he's going to try to get you with some good things. And, 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 and he's going to try to distract you and take you off center. And that's when you reset your heart and you say, no, 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 no. Am I spending my time on the very best things? The things that God wants me to spend my time doing. Am I caring for the least of these? Am I reaching out? Am I fulfilling the great commission that says, go and make disciples of all nations? These are the things that God wants us to do. And so church, we have to be aware. We have to be on guard. We have to realize when we're hearing the truth and when we're hearing a lie. Amen? The most common practice today of the enemy, as I said last week, is to throw a bunch of half-truths out there. And to get you to think to be confused about what the real truth is. That's that's what Jesus does. I mean, not, that's not Jesus, that's what Satan does. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know the truth? Know Jesus. Let's pray. So, God, as we studied your word today, God, as you've spoken to us, Lord, um, we recognize that we have not always taken up that shield of faith. We've not put on the full armor like we need to put on, God. And for some of us, I think for all of us at times, God, we have traded in and we put good things in place of the very best thing. And God, we pray that we would return to the very best, which is you. Worshiping you, loving you, adoring you. God in these moments today. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts God. Pray that you would stir our spirits God. We pray for an empowering of your spirit. Lord, we can't we can't do this without you. Nehemiah was solid because he knew you were with him. Help us to remember today that you are for us, not against us, but that you will call us to do the hard things, the necessary things. So we ask that you would speak to us today. We ask that we would respond today. The altar is going to be open. You may just need to come and to pray. Maybe you feel like you don't, you're struggling and and you can't seem to get back to that close relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to do an inventory and just say, hey, how am I doing with the armor of God? Am I putting all the equipment that God has provided for me? Am I putting it on to defend against the enemy? Am I using the sword of the Spirit to be on offense? And maybe for some, it's time for you to to enlist and to join up today and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Whatever God has called you to do today, Would you listen to his voice? Would you follow him? Would you be obedient today? Because as we said earlier, there's only one name that can save. There's only one name who is worth our praise. That is Jesus. To him be all the glory. Let's continue to worship him today, church.